Welcome to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay, where we discuss growth strategies both for business and a personal perspective, discussing all kinds of businesses, growth strategies, technology, investment strategy, and much more. We are meeting with entrepreneurs, investors, app developers, and property developers. Our vision is to help 10,000 business owners grow their businesses. Introducing our host, Matt Lindsay. Matt is a former banker and corporate financier. He now spends his time building his own companies organically and through acquisition, as well as raising capital for other businesses. Matt works with a wide variety of entrepreneurs and investors. Good morning and welcome to The Growth Show. Today's guest is Andy Cook. How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, nice to see you, mate. We, um, I haven't seen you in person for some time. I think the last time we, I, I had a few beers and you didn't. So that was uh, you know, an interesting... <laughs> <laughs> You're probably like, this guy's he's, 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 he's a weird one, but <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, no, it has been a while. I can't even remember. It was, we were down in London. I think we came, popped in to see you when we were down there at some point, didn't we? exactly exactly yeah. yeah but um so so just by way of context and where background uh, andy is the co-founder of white box property solutions in conjunction with lloyd girardi um, and lloyd was the first guest on the growth show so there's a bit of history here um and we've known each other for god it must be like five or six years now um maybe slightly longer um we've worked together on some financing i've come up to present at, at, at one of your one of your events as well and yeah we, we stay in touch i speak to speak to lloyd probably a bit more than you but n- nothing mm-hmm. personal um and <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm um, with that mate to be honest <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we've um yeah you know there's a good good relationship there in terms of yeah kind of bits bits and pieces that we, we do together and the the reason there's a few things as I, as i mentioned just before we started that i wanted to talk to you about andy in particular um you made the kind of transition from basically being a tradesman and so you were a carpenter by trade and you made that transition into being a property developer and then you've gone on to this this um public speaking side of things and 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 so i'm interested in how you how you made that transition and some of the some of the challenges that you might have felt going through that process and then from the health side as well because i think it's probably fair to say when i came up to do a speech at your event a few years ago you probably were a few pounds heavier than you are now um <laughs> and I, I know that you, you kind of quit drinking for quite a long time and yeah you're you're now a, an advocate advocate for crossfit and all, all the fun stuff that goes with that so that's the kind of topics that i wanted to touch on today um but first things first if you could give us a bit of your your narrative your story where you started and where you've got to today that'd be a great starting point andy thank you yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's quite a lot to, to pick out and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of lessons learned in all of that as well. So, sure. and not just in, in business, but in, in personal development and, and self-growth. So, um, so yeah, I suppose, as you said, I, I came from more of the trades background. Um, there's a story, you know, there's a story behind everything, isn't there? So I didn't sort of go straight into apprenticeships and all that kind of thing as a carpenter from school. I suppose if I go right back to school and, and how I got on there, you know, I wasn't, 
particularly studious. I wasn't like the worst kid in school. I wasn't certainly wasn't the best. I was kind of a, a, a bit, I suppose, using kind of military terms, the grey man sort of like just in the background and, you know, just sailed my way through it. It wasn't like I didn't turn up to lessons or anything like that. But I found I've learned about myself that if something takes my attention, then I'll give it everything. You know, I'm really tenacious and, you know, I'm like a dog with a bone. But also if something doesn't take my attention, then I don't give it anything or, you know, I don't try as hard as I maybe I could do. So, um, at school, it didn't just take my attention. So I just sailed through it. Um, I didn't get particularly good grades, nothing that I've had to rely on in, in, since then or anything like that. And um, I then went to college. I did technology manufacturing engineering. So I didn't go to sixth form or, or do A-levels or anything like that. Um, but again, to be honest, it didn't take my attention. Um, and I did, I, I did it for three years. I sailed through it and just, um, just did the bare minimum, but I didn't even finish the course. So I didn't even get the grade what I spent three years, which seems ridiculous looking back now. Why would you spend that time? But you know, at those ages, we're just finding our feet, I suppose, and seeing what really interests us. Um, mm. After that, sort of, I suppose I'm at about 18, 19 at that point, um, I'd been inspired by someone who um, I'd seen from the periphery before that. It was a few years earlier when I had a paper round, um, just like many of us do. Um, the, it was actually the son of the, the owner of the shop. He, um, he, he used to work behind the counter quite a lot. He was a few years older than me. And I saw that he went, uh, he did a ski season. And that was something that took my attention because I, I wasn't from a family background where we went on skiing holidays and all that kind of thing, you know, quite a humble background, I suppose. And, um, and he went on this ski season and it really just, I don't know, it just, it took my attention. It inspired me, I suppose. And, um, and when I left college, I thought, right, I'm going to go and do one of them ski seasons, it, you know, that, let, let's see what this skiing is all about. And, um, and I did, I, I literally put what I could, could together, a few hundred pounds, 300 pounds it was. And um, I didn't plan it at all. I'd never planned anything like that. I just basically rocked up. Someone had told me to go to Italy because they'd been on holiday there to Salsi do. So um, I just, I went there, turned up, didn't really look at when the season started, how to get a job or anything like that. I just threw myself in at the deep end and turned up and, um, and just had to work from when I got there. I didn't have any money really. I paid what I had on accommodation and, um, and, I, and it was a month before the season actually started. I got there kind of a month early. And um, I just used to literally get up with a, a snow shovel and clear the drives for all the businesses. And, you know, I just learned that hard work sort of could get you the results, if you like. So um, so I used to, I got the first job in town because I was sort of out there in the mornings with a snow shovel helping the business owners. And um, it wasn't a prestigious job in any way, sort of dishwashing or whatever. And um, I did, a, it ended up though, I did a few ski seasons. So I did, um, I ended up doing five. I did worked in Marbella in the summers. I'd go to um, Italy and France in the winters doing those ski seasons. It turned out I didn't even like skiing, by the way, but <laughs> things don't always go to plan. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, I, I like socializing and um, I tried snowboarding a bit after that, but um, I like the environment of it. I like the feeling of it. I like being a, away from home and doing something different to what, you know, maybe the guys I went to school and college with didn't do and probably weren't prepared to do. So I kind of got that feeling of by doing something different, I could be different, if you like. Um, did that for a few years, got a lot of experience from that, um, but came back ultimately and um, and didn't have any qualifications still. I couldn't rely on qualifications. I'd, I'd done bar work, I'd done all sorts of things in those resorts. I'd worked hard and I'd been respected for it, but nothing mm -hmm. that I could come back and lean on. So I had to go back to bare minimum again. I, um, I worked in warehouses on agency. I, I worked for a library fitting company, you know, going out and fitting counters eventually, but in essence working um, in the warehouse for initially and then going out with the vans with the fitting teams. Um, I did that for a few years. And again, I, I realized that if I worked hard, that would get noticed. So 
they instantly took me off the agency and wanted to employ me because they didn't want to lose me. And then they said, well, you're too good for that. Not being funny. You're too good for the warehouse. Let's get you out on the road. You're quite practical. Then I was out on the road for a while and they said, well, let's give you your own team on the road and you can have a couple of guys working under you and you can go and do your own job. So you know, in my early 20s, I kind of went down that route of, again, working hard, but you know, creating my own, um, uh, my own results from that. Um, never formally trained in carpentry at all, though. It was really in those early days, just working with other people, showing me the ropes on the job. Um, I did that job for a, a few years and um, probably in about my... In the mid-20s, I decided to go a bit of a change. I worked for an audio-visual company. So right. they used to do all set building and, you know, like you go to big hotels where there's conferences and things like that. They put, you know, PAs in and all that. But they also used to do the set building. And when I started working there, um, again, I'm quite practical. So it's a bit like, well, look, you're spending a lot of money to get these externally made and you're just fitting them together on, in, in the hotel. Um, we could save you some costs here and I, I basically have a workshop in, in their premises where they just use storage. And, you know, it was just the case of going down to B&Q, buying some basic tools and, you know, making our own simple sets. And, um, and then that became more intricate sets and we started doing bespoke sets. And, you know, and I could see that, you know, by doing things a little bit differently, I could save the company money and you know, I got some good feedback from that as well. I ended up doing that for about, I think, three years in the end. And then it got a bit mundane, a bit, a bit the same. So I just... Uh, I decided one day I was going to leave. We had a bit of, um, you know, I had a bit of a, a, a frank conversation with the boss, if you like, because he'd seen I was getting a bit bored as well. And we ended up with an amicable sort of mutual split, if you like. And um, and I, I was 30 at the time. It was 2007, um, which, you know, obviously we know now was the start of the biggest recession this country has had for quite a long time. Um, yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. I just left my job. I went home to my three-bed Barrett house in the cheapest town in the area I live because that's all I could afford to live in. And um, I went back to my my wife at 30 years old and we just had our second child. I know you've just had your baby. You'll have some empathy with that. We just had a second at that Indeed. point. And she was on maternity leave still. And I said, look, I haven't got a job anymore. You know, it wasn't working for me. You know, I'd always wanted to start something up myself. Never really done it right from traveling. Um, so I... Um, I, at that point, I said, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do something myself. Luckily, she was quite supportive and uh, were very supportive. So um, I set up what now is Redbox Developments. So I set up as a tradesman, if you like, a, a carpenter. I'd never done any formal training as a carpenter, just what I'd done in those two jobs. And I set up you know, everything around that. I was a, a one-man band at that point. I did kitchens. I did bathrooms. I did, you know... The reality was I'd only ever done one kitchen and that was the one in my Barrett house and I just changed the, the, the handles and the, <laughs> painted the doors probably because I couldn't afford a new kitchen. And, um, and I'd, I'd never done a bathroom. I'd just, you know, retailed around the bath and whatever, but I sold myself as that. You know, and I, I, you have to at the end of the day, you have to back yourself, don't you, when you're doing something new. So mm. the reality of that means that I made a lot of mistakes. I had to do, I'd go in and do a job and maybe I'd get it wrong, so I'd have to do it again at my own cost. Um, and that was the early days. It was very much fail forward fast, you know, and learn from those mistakes. And um, and and it and that kind of worked because you know I, I learned a lot as I did it, you know. And I'd make make a mistake the first time I did something, but the second time I did it, I'd learn the mistake, so I didn't do it again. And as I say, I had a very good work ethic, so I'd always outwork it. Um, and I also had a good quality ethic in the way that, all right, I might not do it perfect the first time, but I would I would not leave that job until it was perfect. So the customer got the end result. Um, maybe I was there a bit longer than they thought I was going to be in the early days. Um, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. 
But actually, what I realised is that when people have got someone working around their house, their biggest fear is that they're going to get the kind of tradesman who doesn't give a shit. They're just after the money. They're going to do a half day and not do the finish and, and all that kind of thing. So when they realised they've got someone who did care, um, yeah. you know, they actually embraced that and, you know, they they were uh, patient through the early mistakes probably. But it meant that, I, you know, I, like I say, I failed forward fast. I, by 2009, so two years in, I started doing my first extensions. So, you know, that was a, a real big deal for me. You know, I'm, I'm a property developer now. We build, you know, lots of houses every year and, you know, we've got a big portfolio and things like that. But in mm. 2009, the transition to go from a one-man band to having other trades working with me, you know, having an electrician, a, a, a plumber, a bricklayer, scaffolders, all those things, and then a client that you're working for was a massive jump. And, um, you know, that that brought, brought forward new mistakes that I hadn't made before. And, you know, um, I was project managing the, the, the more than just doing the work. And, and to be fair, that was probably the busiest time for me from 2009, 10, 11, you know, where I was still trying to be a carpenter. I was trying to get enough work in to keep a team working. I was invoicing, I was doing the CIS, I was quoting new jobs. I basically worked all the time. And, and, you know, that put a lot of pressure on home life and relationships and all of that kind of thing. But I grew a lot mm. through that time as well. And it basically got yeah. me to the point where in 2012, I um, was presented with the opportunity to do a self-build. And, I, you know, I'd only ever done extensions at that point. And, right. um, okay. and yeah, so I, I, I took that on as a challenge. Okay, interesting. So it, it, so in terms of your kind of family setup and life, just rewinding to that bit of it, yeah. did you have uh, the, 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 the paper, paper shop guy's son, obviously, I guess that was kind of, it gave you a kind of sense of adventure and a sense of freedom in, in terms of what he was going to do. And at a young age, didn't really have any ties, good opportunity. Did you have kind of family members or members of your local community or... Um, I don't know, entrepreneurs that you looked up to at that time? Was that kind of the calling or was it more um, you just, you know, you saw, saw, saw opportunities as they arose? Yeah, I think in the early days, you know, like I suppose, have you got the vision? Are you trying to be an entrepreneur and all those kind of things? Mm. I certainly wasn't. You know, I didn't feel like mm. I was a business person. In fact, I, I've had a bit of, through the years, even when I started Redbox and all that, you know, I, it's fair to say, you know, I had some imposter syndrome there because, you know, like right. I, I didn't feel like a businessman. I didn't feel like I, you know, I, I, I built a good work ethic so I could outwork people, but I didn't always feel like I was doing it right. I felt like I was making a lot of mistakes and all those kind of things. And and actually, there was a bit of me that was, you know, I used to wear as a, a badge of honour in those early days. If I got hundreds of phone calls on my iPhone, you know, I'd flick through it and, you know, I'd almost be like, look how important I am. You know, these people all need me, but I didn't realise that I was actually, you know, creating a, a big problem where, you know, I was micromanaging people and, you know, because mm. I didn't have the skill set at the time to manage people properly and set systems and processes and all those kind of things. And that was just, mm. you know, that I didn't have a an education in that. I didn't learn about business. I didn't, I had to do it on the ground and make the mistakes first, if you like. And that's just been my journey. Um, sure. But in the early days, it was the people that inspired me. You know, I do, I do remember a couple of family members who, you know, were self-employed. And, you know, I look back now, it wasn't necessarily that they were doing big prestige. They weren't big developers or anything like that. But even sure. working, and even uh, one, of, one of my family members, I remember when I was at school, he, like, he did um, a, a small extension on his house. He did it himself. And to mm. me, it was a bit mind-blowing. It's like, how do you know how to do all that stuff yourself? You know, and I remember that sure. from quite a young age. And um, and I suppose yeah, that sort of stuff definitely inspired me. 
Um, but I think traveling is is massive for people, you, you know, mm-hmm. to go and do those ski seasons and to meet so many varied. You know, we all live the same life, but we all do it very, very differently. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they've all got different influences and you know, family influences and different inspirations. So you draw from all of those people. Um, mm-hmm. and one bit I kind of missed out there is when I did the ski seasons, I ended up then doing a year trip when I first met my wife now. She'd never traveled before and all that kind of thing. That's kind of why I stopped doing the ski seasons. And I, mm. over a few months, um, I was just working and, um, when we got to know each other. And then I kind of persuaded her to come on a year trip around the world. So we went around, right. um, we pushed the traveling again. And we went, you know, started in South Africa, went through India, Indonesia, and over to Australia, lived in a camper van for eight months. And all of those... Wow. All and that was in the early 2000s. It was actually we came home because 2000 um, September the 11th hit in 2001. We all know yeah. what happened, you know, with the planes there and things. And it was, you know, obviously a, a world event. So we decided after a year to call it a day there. And we, you know, thing, the, the things I learned from the people I met there are definitely the inspiration and the foundation of what you know what I've been and done ever since. Yeah, no, interesting. It, 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 for somebody to go and do that, it, you know, from my perspective, I think it shows some take take some balls to kind of drop everything that you know and get yeah, kind of go out into the world without you know that kind of comfort factor of you know the friends, the community around you. And I suppose, yeah, that may, maybe that's kind of part of what what makes you into the you know successful mm. entrepreneur that you are today. So. If if there are you know younger listeners listening, what what advice would you be giving to somebody who maybe is in that kind of similar situation? You know, they're maybe not so academic and they're looking for you know a, to to begin their journey. You know, we all have that um, that that thing of you know we want it now, but it, it doesn't always deliver like that. And you've kind of, in my experience, you've got to go through a process to kind of achieve results, and that means making mistakes you know and overcoming them and learning and implementing as you've talked about um it, yeah is there any advice that you give to give to people who are you know a bit unsure about where they're where they're going with things i think for, if they're the younger generation as, as you alluded to there you know they're hearing this and they they haven't got those ties you mentioned there about you haven't got family ties and all those kind of things things get harder as you get older you know you get kids you get you're in relationships and all those kind of things so you know, if you if you're at a point in your life where you can go and do those kind of things and go traveling um i think it, it gives you so much um so much stuff you probably don't even realize at the time when we do things which are you know even when we go on exciting adventures or we go and do something exciting for a day quite often we don't realize how powerful they are when we're doing them it's when you reflect on them afterwards that you understand the value you got out of it and um you know certainly with things like traveling like that it's just going and having the experience you just don't even know who you're meeting and and all of those kind of things. And I, I still speak to, not, not every day, but I still speak to people who I met on those those trips now. And they still sort of follow on your journey on Facebook and Instagram and all those kind of things and, you know, comment every now and again and things like that. So they're powerful connections that you make. But look, the fact is that, as you said, we all want we all want results now, but results take time to come, come on, don't they? So it doesn't matter, you know, if you're hearing this and you're a, a sole trader and you're in your 30s or 40s or whatever, it's never too late. And um, you have to just, you know, chew off big challenges of small chunks, don't you? You know, you have to, you know, the compound effects of doing something different consistently, suddenly you realize over some time that you, you actually get momentum. And momentum is the thing which is difficult to get started. It's like, um, it's like getting on a bike, isn't it, for the first time? You know, 80% of your effort is just to get the goddamn thing moving. You know, you've got to lean on those pedals in gear to just to get it off the ground and moving. But actually, once you're moving, 
you know, it takes 20% of the effort to keep it moving at the same speed or even to speed up a little bit, you only have to add a little bit more more effort, don't you? So, you know, that's the same with something new, whether it be a fitness journey, whether it be, um, you know, something you want to change a career or whatever else, the, the start of it's going to be the hard bit where you make the decision, get the momentum, cut what you're doing and start something new. But actually when you get that momentum, you know, it becomes easier and you can actually you've got to take it off small chunks at a time. You can see the vision a bit better. No, absolutely. And it, it, from, from, from what you've said there as well, one thing that I, I immediately take away is you're a grafter, right? You know, you're, you're, you know, if, if all fails, you're not prepared to go and get your hands dirty and, you know, do a, do a day's graft. Whereas, you know, I think it's probably fair to say, you know, the, the kind of Instagram generation in inverted commas of today, you know, they want the fame and the fame and the money, but they're not necessarily prepared to roll their sleeves up in the same way that, you know, you and I, you and I had to doing paper rounds, you know, and, and jobs like that, mm. you know, menial work. But it actually by doing that stuff and, and I think, you know, by by doing the, the travel thing as well, it gives you an element of experience and maturity as well, because you have to you have to deal with different circumstances and engage with different people in different environments. So it's it's all part of what shapes you into the person that you become. Um, um, can I just come back on that actually? Because yeah, there's sure. some good points in there, and you know, I do definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm intrinsically from my early experiences a graft here. That's also brought negative implications as well, because <laughs> you know, like I went through a stage where I'd come into the office, and you know, if people were having lunch breaks, I didn't understand it. You know, or you know, why would you have a break in the day? Because I wouldn't have a break. I'd expect that on other people, and that's obviously not the right way to go as well. So I'm in it in some ways an extremist as well. So you know, like if something does take my attention, I'll do it to the extreme and whatever else. So, and, and I've had to wind that down a little bit over when I was in the busy spells, when I was working in 2009, 10 and 11, I was too in it to even see that. I didn't even understand that. You know, I couldn't, mm. I couldn't get that. It's, it's later on when we've got into the, the property development side of it, I've got teams of people around me, you know, I've learned to be, a, you know, hopefully a better leader, a, be a better um, inspiration to them. And I understand I've got a lot of empathy with their situation and I've been able to tone that down um, to not put pressure on other people and a micromanage them, like I say, and let them have their freedom and autonomy to make their own decisions mm -hmm. and their own mistakes and still be in line with what we're trying to achieve as a business. And, and you know, I'm better for it. They're better for it. You know, my family's better for it. You know, I'm a better dad <laughs> for it and all those kind of things. So, and sure. I think that although, you know, grafting is a, a very good base and foundation, you know, in some ways, I don't, you know, you mentioned the Instagram generation there, they graft in a different way sometimes, you know, they, they yeah, see maybe, things maybe different, the world, the world is different, you know, so you look at, I listened to um, the Molly May interview with um, Stephen Bartlett the other day, and, um, right. you know, like, and, you know, she is a grafter, but she does it in a very different way, you know, consistency on posting on Instagram, you know, that got her to do Love Island and be an influencer before that. And then after that, you know, the, the people who come out of Love Island, not all of them are successes, obviously. But she, in her world, is a grafter by, you know, she made it a success and she, you know, that, that was an amazing interview, to be honest. So I think that, you know, right. I've learned that there's sometimes a cleverer way to work than just, you know, dragging your knuckles along the floor and all that kind of thing. So, and I definitely see the benefit of toning that side down a little bit. And, and if you'd have asked me that in, you know, 2012, I'd have probably told you that there's nothing that beats hard work. And, you know, obviously sure. there's an element to that. And I, I'm very proud of the ethic I've got. But, you know, sure. there's a blend, you know, nothing's right. There's, if there's an extreme that way, there's also an extreme that way. And there's obviously the best is usually a blend in the middle, isn't it? No, absolutely. That's a, that's a very, very, very valid point, actually. Yeah, no, I, I take that one. Um, cool. And, th and then so you got to 2012. 
um, and then the, things began to change, right? So you, you, you built the, the built the self build yourself. That meant you had to engage with other other trades and and kind of build out a, a, a team of, of of people that you could work with. And then is that the beginning of that kind of I want to be a property developer journey, or how how did that kind of transition come around? And um, were there were there any kind of other part parties that you you know pre Lloyd that you you kind of met that were kind of beginning to shape that as an idea in your brain? Okay, so um, yeah, 2012 got in. Like I say, the, the, it kind of presented to me the opportunity to do it. It was actually a family member who was selling a plot on the side of their their own house, um, okay. and it looked like a nice house and all that kind of stuff. It was obviously a big challenge at the time, and you know, I didn't have loads of money and all that kind of thing. I think I managed to put together 50 grand um, from like equity in the house I'd got and all that kind of stuff, which allowed me to get development finance for a self build. Um, with uh, that was build zone at the time so you know I didn't know those things I had to go and research and work how that would work um, and then putting the cost together was a lot bigger than just doing an extension you know that obviously for development finance as you know you've got to understand where the money's going to go how it's all going to flow and that, they're the things we do on a daily now I didn't then so they were challenges much like doing the other earlier jobs um, mm -hmm. I did have a core team of guys in the building company at that, that point who were doing extensions and it was the same core team and and subcontractors around me that we sort of kind of used on the self-build. Um, but I wanted to do it very much like a, like a job, like, a, you know, getting a contract for, a, um, for a, an extension. I'd, I'd seen, you know, you, even you watch Grand Designs or, you know, these self-build sure. shows and you see people who get stuck in 20 years, they're still not finished it because they're trying to do everything themselves and they don't trust anyone else to do anything, you know. I didn't want to be that person. So it was, for me, it was about project manager like an extension. There were a few finishes at the end that I wanted to tile my own bathrooms and all that because, you know, I knew I was going to be in them every day and I didn't want to see sort of silly mistakes in them and things like that. So, um, but in essence, we built the whole house in eight months, um, which, you know, was pretty quick at the time, especially with the first house we'd ever built. And, um, and I moved in in May the 10th, 2013. So we even did it over winter and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I learned a lot through that process. Obviously, I found that I was more, again, I was more procurement in the early days of it rather than just, you know, trying to be on site, putting every bit of wood in or laying every brick or anything like that. I've got the bricklayers in, I've got the guys working on it. I helped when I needed to help, but I'd also be in, you know, the house next door, using it as an office, you know, project managing it, you know, um, uh, from the early days. So we went through that process. I learned a lot, but then in essence, we went back to doing extensions again after it. I did that to build a house for my family. So it wasn't that I was right, trying to okay, be a developer. Okay. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, we went back and, but what happened was that after a few months in 2013, doing a couple of more extensions, I had that kind of enlightenment as, hold on a minute, I've just built a house over here. I'm now doing extensions for the people. I know how to build a house, why am I not building houses sort of thing. So there was a bit of that. Mm. And then, um, it started to feed the thoughts of, well, you know, I know people have like, um, investment portfolios of, you know, single houses. I don't know how they do that. I don't, I don't, how do they get to that point? You know, like it seemed like that was Everest, if you like. And I, I was down sure. at base camp and I'm like looking up thinking, well, I don't understand how they got to there. You know, like, and I started to understand that there was mechanisms that did that more than just they had loads of money um, just through the experiences I've had. Uh, and it got to the end of 2013. And, um, you know, I, I went on one of the free training courses for about property investment, not development. And it, mm -hmm. it kind of opened my eyes really to, you know, I didn't know the term HMO. I didn't know really about single buy to lets. I didn't know any of the, you know, the, the strategies around it. 
and it just sort of like I, you know, I started to consume lots of books and a bit of self development or personal development on that front, really, and that really lit the, the spark. And that's kind of when I met met Lloyd, and we, I'd done everything. It was a big decision there though, because I'd done everything on my own to that point. I was the master of my own destiny. I controlled yeah. everything because it was just me, and that was the first time I ever sort of considered doing something as a partnership. Yeah. Okay. And that that's quite a big. Yeah, cho- choosing business partners, you have to choose carefully because you're, you know, potentially in bed, bed with them for the long term, aren't you? So that's, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's uh, just get this clear. I've never been in bed with Lloyd. That's no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's too much information, Andy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah. Then, then I, yeah. So then that kind of side of the journey. So, so were you going to kind of networking events and things like that at this point in time and beginning to get get yourself known in the property circles is that how it came about um well yeah not yeah not until we the end of 2013 and we sort of started okay. to look at it properly it was kind of over that i had that christmas break you know busy trades people out there people with small building companies you know we we you run a busy schedule you're running around all the time and then you know that puts a lot of pressure on your family and then christmas comes along and you have that obligatory like right you're busy all the time you've got to spend some time with the kids kind of thing you know that, of course. Sure we all have yeah. that in business and i had that but how do you go from 100 mile an hour to doing nothing at Christmas, if you like, you know, and spending time with a family? It's a difficult transition, you know, um, mentally as well. So, and, you know, I do a couple of days over the Christmas period and, you know, you do all the Christmas bit and then you've got that dead time afterwards. And I used to really struggle with that. And and, and that comes across to the family as well. And, and that was about the same time as this all hit. And I started, like I say, listening to podcasts. It became my obsession. When something takes my my um, obsession, then I'd do everything for it, and and that's what I did. And and Lloyd had helped me a little bit with the self build. So we met because he was he was kind of going out with my cousin in the early days. Um, and you know I used to see him, but you know she'd bring him to family parties and things like that. And, and I'd sure. see him at those kind of things. You know he's a bit younger than me. He's ten years younger than me. So we got on all right. We got on quite well. Uh, he was a lighting salesman at the time, and um, he unfortunately at that that time now you know. When you look back at things, it's almost like sliding doors, isn't it? You know, like that mm-hmm. moment happens that, you know, if we were in different times, it wouldn't have quite worked how it did. But um, those things, I believe, happen for a reason. And um, sure. it helped me a little bit with, a, the, you know, fancy lighting. We'd put LEDs in my house as I built it. I wanted to make it quite special. Um, I like the way he designed them. I like, you know, he, he had a bit about him, if you like. Um, and then, unfortunately, his dad and then granddad died at the end of 2013, which was a big wake-up call for him that, you know, sure. his dad hadn't done some of the things that he'd wanted to do in his life. Lloyd was in a job, you know, doing, going, you know, not doing the things he dreamt of doing. And he, he, he was itchy to start something different. And, um, and I, when I started looking at investment side of it, I then approached him and said, look, you know, do you want to look at this together? Do you want to, you know, this could be a thing that we just see whether it's, it's suitable or whatever. And um, I tested him a little bit. I said, look, I've read all this. I've done all this. You've got to get up to speed in the first few sure. days. And he did that. And he, yeah. you know, he kind of like showed his enthusiasm matched mine, which, you know, mm. I, I liked. Um, but like I said, I'd always done everything on my own. Um, it was a big decision for the first few months, really. But was that the right way to go? Um, of course. And I suppose we just went in with a bit of blind faith. He, you know, we, we talk about it sometimes on our courses and, that you know, I, he leveraged me really heavily, really, because I had a bit of building experience. I had the build team. I had... Um, you know, neither of us had loads of money behind us. I just put my money into the house, obviously. But you know, um, you know, I, I had the credibility more. I had vans that I drove around in. People, you know, I was a bit older, so the family members around us, you know, I'd got that credit that I was a, 
know, as in business myself and all those kind of things. And Lloyd didn't have yeah. any of that. So in the early days, he definitely leveraged me. Um, but, you know, I, I got out of it a lot. Um, you know, I, I, in some ways, it's a bit like I could have done the early stuff on my own. Mm. But the stuff we do now, I'd never be able to do on my own. So, you know, sure. whatever it was that made me not try and do it on my own, you know, I'm thankful for really because, you know, we're much stronger together now. And, and so there's, there's a podcast that I'm obsessed with at the moment, which is called My First Million with this guy, Sean, Sean Puri uh, and a guy called Sam. And basically in that they've, they've both successfully exited tech companies. So it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. But one of the exercises that they do with with um, business partners and they've done it historically is they actually go through a process of identifying what what your objectives are, and what my objectives are. So if we were going to set up a business together, we both independently go away and have a list of questions that we would agree answers to and then see how our answers match up and if they do and that can be quite a good process of actually identifying you know potential business partners and see if your interests are aligned did, did you do yeah. any of that stuff with lloyd or was it more just that you know you you if it felt good you kind of clicked you got on well and you felt that you had the same values or did you kind of talk about you know what what your kind of dreams were and all that kind of stuff or was it was it more just you know kind of i'd love to intuitive? say we did matt yeah i'd love to say we went through all that and we you know did all of the tests and all that kind of stuff and you know we guide people to do that sort of stuff now you know we mentor a lot of people and you know and we understand how you know that it, how important it is to get that right partnership you know it's a it's a relationship together it's all you know like you said you're going to be working together if it goes well for a long time and it will be painful if it doesn't go well together. So we, mm. we try and get them to consider those things. But in the early days, no, it wasn't like that for me and Lloyd. We didn't know about all that stuff. We never even considered it from that angle. It just felt right, I suppose. We um, we were going through those early challenges together. We did some some property training in the early days, and we always did it together. Um, and okay. I think that really helped because, you know, like you said, we were on the same vision. We kind of came at it from slightly different angles sometimes, but, you know, we... We we always wanted the same end result, the same same vision. It was what we, as far as we could see of it at that point. Um, mm. And you know, we we supported each other through the challenges. And if we had to find money, we found money together. So we we probably doubled up on some of the tasks and things that you you know you say you shouldn't do, but you know, we always had the right motivations and the right um, the right support really. And I, I think what we've found is a, a business partnership that's grown throughout the last probably eight years now. And you know, we. You know, we, we understand that we're not perfect. We understand that each other are going to make mistakes, but we have got that same aligned vision. Um, and, you know, yeah. we, 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 we will work together forever, but whatever capacity that is, and we will keep sure. supporting each other forever. And, you know, when I think that when somebody makes a mistake, we don't jump on each other. Like, you know, sometimes in, as we get bigger in business, you know, a mistake can cost quite a lot of money or you, you might overlook something or you're not run a team as well as you could have done or something like that, you're not paid attention to it. You know, we, we understand those things happen. We'll support and be positive through that. We won't get on each other's back about it, but we'll also expect that the other one learns from that and doesn't do it again, you know? So, sure. you know, that, and, and that's the kind of way that, that we've sort of grown together, I suppose. Yeah, no, interesting. And I, I suppose it's, it's, it's being, having that kind of ability to step back and having a bigger vision for this is what we're trying to achieve which I'm assuming you do now in terms of, you know, the, the, the kind of both of the business or, or the multiple businesses that you run, I should say. Um, and so you're working on the business whilst working in the business as well and being able to kind of disconnect those two things, which is really difficult to do when you're, you know, you, you're busy and you're running projects. Um, 
So, so the next thing I kind of wanted to touch on, and Lloyd, Lloyd talked about this in his episode. So if you haven't seen that and you know, you want to learn about the first deal um, that you guys did, which was um, purchasing a garage, uh, it was it a set of garages at auction, I think. Is that is that right? Yeah, um, 22 garages, yes. Right, so... Derelict, derelict, horrible looking garages, my idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just wanted to get from your perspective that kind of, you know, the emotion that went into that acquisition and how you felt about that 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 purchase. Because obviously, you know, you've gone from building at, at that time, if, if I'm correct, you know, you're doing the extensions, you've done your own house, but this is now a kind of a different, a different level. How, how did you get to the kind of confidence that you could execute a transaction of that nature? And how did you feel whilst going through that process? Um, yeah, so it was obviously a big step up. It was, you know, that was very early 2014. So literally just had those conversations over Christmas. And um, we joined um, a property mentorship group, which, you know, was more, it wasn't a development at all. It was just really to understand the, you know, the way people looked at um, having investments in property. Um, and, I, you know, we'd sat through three days of, like I say, free training where they did try and sell us a few courses and things like that. But, you know, we, it gave us some of those early basics, but it also got us pretty pumped up, pretty excited and all those kind of things. And I'm glad it did because it, 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 we rode on that excitement. We were pretty naive, I'm not going to lie. You know, there's no point in it. Our start was the way it happened. There's no point in we can't change it. We were pretty naive. Sure. You know, we, we drew on what experience we had. So obviously I had a bit of build experience. I tried to do the figures on that um it, it had elapsed planning for eight houses these garages i tried to do my figures on that from the house that i'd built you know it was never going to be perfect there's always going to be stuff i didn't consider and all that kind of stuff but we tried not to let that stop us i think what helped us was that it was an auction and the auction was the the 18th of february 2014 so you know literally right. two weeks away whatever so you know like if I'd, if you'd have asked me at the time that you can buy another three months of due diligence, I wouldn't have known the term due diligence by the way then, but you know, you know, a research or whatever, um, you know, if you, you can buy time to have that research and the auction could be put back, I'd have snapped your hand off for that. In reality, if that had happened, would I have done that deal? I can almost guarantee I wouldn't have done that deal because I'd have got the analysis paralysis. I'd have overthought sure. it completely. I'd have come up with a million different ways that was going to fail as a project, you know, and, I'd have had all the people, you know, talking in my ear, you know, doubting whether it was going to work and you're never going to find the money. You're never going to get the planning. You're never going to do all those things. So it probably helped us that it was such short time scale. And, you know, if I look at the process, like I said earlier, it's almost like sliding doors. Like that had to happen to give us the confidence to do that. Um, you know, it was pretty much the first deal we looked at. And, you know, we teach a lot of people in developments now. And we know that that's very, very rare that you just see a deal, you go and get it and whatever else. Um, but but, but, but sorry works. to sorry to interrupt. There is also actually a thing though when you see a deal and you know that it's the right deal to do to to execute on that deal as well, isn't there? Yeah. So and yeah. maybe that's fortunate that that was that was the one that turned up. So there's there is that kind yeah. of thing of yeah, as you say, it's very easy in development to say no to things and not transact. So the fact that you're yeah. transacting by doing that, you've got the wheels turning. You're moving forwards, aren't you? It's that momentum we talked about earlier, isn't it? You need to get the momentum. And, um, and we kind of even understood that then. So we literally sat around my table uh, in my kitchen in my house and said, look, you know, we were predicting from the cost we could do, our analysis said that we'd make £290,000 profit, you know, by selling those houses or if we refinanced them, it'd be in his equity or whatever. Um, but, you know, in essence, it would generate £290,000 profit. Now we said, look, you know, that, if we've got this completely wrong, you know, if there's, um, you know, if there's 
um, contamination or something that we just don't know about yet, or, or you know, something we don't know. There's quite, it's quite a good possibility that you know, 100 grand of that could just go straight away. Are we prepared to do it for you know, 150, 190, you know, whatever, half the profit? Would we still go into it if that was the case now? And we just looked at each other and we said, well, yeah, we would, you know, like, and mm -hmm. we even did a sliding scale. What if it was 100? What if it was 50? What if we did all that work for the next 12 months, all them challenges, and we came out break even? You know, didn't make anything out of it. Would we do it sitting here at this point? And um, and we still looked at each other and actually we said yes, we would because we know that we'll learn from it, we'll grow from it. Just like 2007, doing those kitchens, bathrooms, and things like that. You know, that it would get bigger from it. So, you know, we thought our worst case scenario. You know, to lose best part of 300 grand in a deal, we thought. You know, that's a hell of a lot of mistakes. <laughs> like, it's not like doing one single buy to let where the boiler goes and you don't make any money for the next five years. You know, like, you know, there's a lot's got to go wrong. And we backed ourselves a bit that, you know, all right, we might make a few mistakes, but we try and catch them early and get the right people in. And we try not to lose 300 grand, basically. And um, sure. and the reality that happened then is that, you know, we we bought it at auction. We had 28 days to bloody find the money. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of, um, a lot of ways to find it. And, we found some of it. We needed 140 grand in the end um, to in 28 days because I'd put I'd put some money down as a deposit down. In reality, if I look back, that was kind of the deposit of someone's extension I was going to do in the next few months. <laughs> that was the only money. That was the only money I had. So we were like, look, I need this back in four weeks. So you know, if, I, if we do this on the day, the 16 grand, then I need it back. You know, so you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, and you say. Um, yeah. So we, we had enough to put down in the Redbox account, you know, the bill company account to, to buy it that day. And then we had to hustle for the money. And 10 days, we hadn't found anything, you know, or, or you know, the first eight to 10 days. And we'd, we'd been trying people, we'd been trying the people I'd worked for and all that kind of thing. And, you know, we were getting a bit worried. At, you know, our worst case, obviously, we'd put this deposit down and, you know, it'd get put back in auction and we'd lose the 10%. But we, yeah. were, we were adamant that, was gonna, that wasn't going to happen. One of the guys I'd worked for before, he knew of us. He wanted to help us and give us a bit of a start. He ended up putting 50 grand in, a bit of a gentleman's handshake. You know, I'll put it in if you make sure I get it back. I'm not risking it. I'm, I'm helping you with it. You know, when he sure. got his he got he got his return on it. Um, but he wanted to help us a bit in hindsight. Um, and mm -hmm. then once we'd had that, we were somebody told us we didn't know about these things at the time, but someone told us about a bridging loan, and um, right. and we um, and we then you know looked into it. And within 10 days, we, we were able to secure the rest of the money on a bridging loan against the site, which we obviously, um, they put a charge on at the time. And that got us to the 20, we got 29 days it took. We, we literally, but we didn't know any of that when we started. We'd learned that by, by going and doing the process and transacting, as you say. And if we hadn't transacted, we wouldn't learn any of that. So we, we managed to find that. Obviously, we needed to still look for private money because the, the bridging loan had a first charge and we couldn't get development finance with a charge on it. So um, sure. so we needed to release that charge. It was only short-term fix. So within three months, you know, we'd, the difference, we'd got a site then. So, you know, we'd actually got the bit of land, if you like. So um, we were replacing funds for funds and, um, you know, we were able to get the, get the money together to take out the bridging loan. Uh, we got um, the development funding for all of the build costs and um, we ended up developing it out. But yeah, a lot of lessons in that. But yeah, I think, again, I, I praise us for having the, the balls, if you like, for doing that at the start. So if we hadn't done that, I'd still be doing extensions, Lloyd would still be doing lighting and all that kind of stuff.
Yeah, and and did you, did you? I should imagine you probably had some sleepless nights along the way at that point in time. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, mean, had, had, I guess. I guess the question is around stress and you know how you how you personally handled that. Did, did yeah? Do, are you to be honest? I don't, someone I don't to deal with was, it? Yeah, I don't think it was any worse for me at that point than it was the early days with the building company. You know, like you know, sure. like I like I say, I was the busiest I've ever been in the early days of that building company. Getting that traction from nothing in those early days was harder than trying flipping that momentum i had with the building company flipping that to do something different was easier yeah. and i had I, I had confidence in myself you know the 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 biggest time that my wife's ever questioned what, what i do and we do now was probably 2009 2010 when i took my first employee on and we had someone who we had to pay the wage for every week and every month you know and their family relied on that wage and you know that freaked her out a bit she was like well, what if we haven't got to work what if we know you know we can't pay them and all that kind of stuff and that was stressful, you know, that those transitions sure. were stressful in the early days. Doing this, I'm not saying it was a walk in the park and it was easy, obviously I had the challenges, but I don't remember them as being as stressful as those early ones because I'd already got past that, you know, I'd already, I knew that if I committed to something and I focused on it, I'd solve any problem that came along. And, um, you know, and, and that's kind of what happened, I suppose, yeah. Interesting that the way you say that is so you, you, you actually from a kind of psychological perspective, you just got complete confidence in your ability to, you know, if you put a challenge in front of me, I'm going to knock that down and deal with it. Right. That's that. So that's kind of part of your kind of makeup, I suppose, almost at that, at that point in time. Yeah, no, I think it, it probably is intrinsic into, you know, who I am, but I'm not I don't want that to come across like we don't have challenges. We do like, you know, oh, sure, you know, sure, sure. Yeah. you know, you know, like, and, you know, we're, there'll be times we need to find money quickly because of a deal or whatever else, or there'll be, you know, we, things take too long, things cost a bit more than they should and all those kind of things. But, you know, like, I think, you know, in the early days when we started doing this, we used to on, be on that emotional roller coaster. you know, that you get a deal, you get really excited, you know, we used to go and drink for every property that we, you know, 22 garages, that's 22 drinks, you know, I think we only got 15 <laughs> and we were crawling home from the pub. You know, like we'd, we'd massively, you know, like, hey, we're on it. And then, of course, you know, something will change and you don't get the plan in your thought or whatever is, you know, whatever the downside of that is. And your whole world's ending and you're at the bottom of the roller coaster and blah, blah, blah whatever. And then, you know, you, you're, you're following up and down like that. And that's, that's life in developments, but that's life as well, isn't it? You know, so I think what we've learned in that is that we try and we do celebrate a win still, but we tone that down. You know, we try and have a mean line in the middle and, you know, we don't, it's not suicidal when something goes wrong you know we bring that up and you know we know we'll get over it and all that kind of thing so we try and just bring in the frequency a little bit on all that and then you know we try and bring that line in the middle up gradually so as that our whole life is the celebration of the stuff that we're doing and you know we can you know we i'm not working all the time now we've gone plenty of trips with the family we you know we get the benefits out of that and actually through what we've done you know the you mentioned it right at the start there i've had you know both of us but me personally as well you know we've had self-development journeys you know we but you know mm. we, we're public speakers now which i wouldn't have been before this and that's what lawyers brought into what we do and we you know i've had a health and fitness journey and all those kind of things so we're completely different people to what we were in 2013-14 but we've got that mm. using development as the vehicle to have that kind of enlightenment in in those things in life instead of just being busy all the time yeah no 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 it's an interesting journey so it, it so in terms of from that first deal you got got through it then you move into you know kind of you've got you've got an approach that you you're comfortable with you know how to do analysis um you then carry on and do do some do some more business 
Um, how, how did you get from there to where you are today? And what were the biggest challenges in, in, in building you know, a fairly substantial, substantial portfolio? Um, I think you just keep putting one foot forward, really, and keep taking on the challenges. Um, you know, and, and that's all we really did. You know, we moved the, what we'd learned from the first one onto the second one. And uh, that was 11 houses um, in the town that I lived in, in my Barrett house, actually. And Lloyd lived in that town for a while when I met him as well. So, you know, as I said, it wasn't the most um, auspicious or is it ostentatious, whatever it is. You know, the, 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 it wasn't the, the biggest town or the fanciest town in our area. It wasn't like one of the, we live in a nice little um little village town village now you know which is only very close to it but it's the opposite end if you like you know so mm. we've made that transition um but you know we picked that deal up by having the first deal so you know that mm. worked really well by having that momentum investors could come and see the site that we were working on they could see uh you know what we did and how we did it they could get confidence from that so at the end of the day an investor just wants to make sure they're going to get their money back and if there's something tangible they can see how you're doing it and um you know understand the figures then that made it easier it made it a lot easier um, and then we just kept doing one after another. The training came about really because not because of any grand design to be, be um, property development trainers or anything like that, but um, people wanted to see what we were doing. We were in a community of people who were doing single buy to lets and HMOs. And in, mm. in the early days, HMOs freaked us out. It's like, you know, imagine buying a house and splitting it up and having to rent it and all that, you know. And, you know, we, we thought that was a, you know, you were a real investor if you did HMOs. And obviously we transitioned through that. We did a lot of them ourselves in the end, but we did service accommodation. We did, um, we've done um, commercial conversions, big factory conversions. We've done new builds. We've done all of the property strategies and developments, the one which we really focus on. But in the early days, people just wanted to see, because we were doing different to them, you know, that in those communities in, in, you know, people would see things like this and they'd be like, well, how are you doing it? So I'd end up doing three or four tours around the site every week, you know, and because we wanted to help people as well. People had helped us. So, you know, it was taking a lot of my time up doing individual tours. So, you know, Lloyd sort of said, well, look, let, let's, no, I'll, I'll book a hotel one weekend. So it's not taking your time up in a week where you're concentrating on the builds and mm. we'll just show them all in one hit. You know, it's time efficiency as much as anything else, isn't it? So, right. okay. And, so so know, that, was, that, that was basically an organic process that kind of naturally yeah, yeah. occurred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Lloyd's, you know, great at IT and all that. So he'd put a few slides together to show, you know, how we were doing it. And, you know, that's how really the early courses in 2015 started. It was showing our first two sites, showing how we got funding, uh, showing how um, how we set the builder, how we did well with the architects, professionals and all those kind of things. And basically how we made that trans transition from being uh, a carpenter and a lighting salesman to doing our own developments and taking that customer level out and being our own customers, if you like, and using my building company. So that was the early days of it. Um, you know, it, it grew into a, a two-day more formal course. We started charging a little bit to pay the cost of the hotel and all that kind of thing. And then, you know, and we realized that actually there was a lot of people who needed that kind of information. We started to see some great results of the people who were taking that information and going to do it themselves. So um, we, it became a two-day course. We got some of our professionals in to talk as well and show them that. The content's grown over the years. We still run the same course in 2022 now as that we did then, but it's just, you know, we, we know a lot more. I think we've got about 50 courses in now. Um, it's a three-day course. It's packed to the gunnels with information. And, and like I say, we see some great results of people who, who take the information and go and do it themselves. No, absolutely. No, I, I like that kind of organic approach to it. And it's kind of natural. I think, yeah, I, too often it's if you try and force things like that to occur they can still work but if, if it's got a kind of natural flow to it it's a lot easier isn't it than the yeah. making something happen yeah 
Yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah, and 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 then that, from that, you know, for me in the early days, um, you know, I wasn't a public speaker in any way, and you know, I was quite self-conscious with that. I've not, uh, you know, I wasn't. Although I did a lot of those things traveling when I was younger, I wasn't naturally outgoing in that way. I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel comfortable by putting the limelight on me. It wasn't that I didn't do it sometimes, but it wasn't something which I would, you know, if I was in a training room at that in those days, in the early days we did it, I'd be sitting at the back corner. You know, I wouldn't put my hand up to ask a question because I wouldn't want everyone focusing on me on it and all that kind of stuff. And I'd be self-conscious about all that kind of thing. And um, and then I, we, we started to do that. We started to run our own um, um, property networking event uh, we did that in Northampton for three years. And these are all things that Lloyd sort of challenged us with. And it, it wasn't that he was comfortable with it either, but he'd throw that in the mix. And some of that was probably to show his own value at the time in the early days, because he felt like I, he, sure. you know, he was leveraging me. So he was trying to push his own value in and you know help on that um, on those areas that he could. Um, and then that started to grow what, what now is a training company. And we, we specialize in developments. We don't do you know, the, the stuff we don't do, we don't train people on, you know, we have, we, we've done single buy to lets, we've got single buy to lets, we've got our own portfolio of them, but we're not excited by them. So we don't try and train people on it, you know, um, sure. you know, you, you follow your passion, don't you? And we love developments. We love show, showing people how they can make that transition. So that's what we've always done, really. Um, we, um, you know, in the early days, like I say, it was, you know, we weren't as slick with our presentation, I'm sure. We did do some training ourselves. If you don't know how to do something, you learn how to do it, don't you, you know? Sure. And um, and really, you know, I, I love that side of it now. Um, and I have done for years. And, and really because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trade kind of guy. You know, I, you know, I, I do site talk meetings to, to people, but not really challenge myself outside that. And, um, you know, to get better at something, you have to keep uh, repetition and, and challenging yourself in it. So, um, you know, now I've, got, I've gone from not wanting to put my hand up in the back of the room. You know, I look forward to the, the one day discovery days we do, the, um, the three days. And, you know, we've got, we've got content that we deliver, obviously, but we try and learn from the room who they are in the room. How can we best position that information so it will, you know, get through and, and sink into those guys so they can actually go and use it. So actually any course that we do is very organic in itself. It's not just us standing pointing at slides. We'll position the information that we know to give them the best that they can get out of it. And, you know, like, you know, people say to us, how on earth do you know that, you know, that information to stand there for three days talking to people nonstop, where have you got that information? But it's just by doing it a lot and going through the experiences. And, um, you know, I, 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 I love the three day because it gives me an opportunity to get away from the sites, get away from the business, get away from the other stuff that we do. And, you know, I'm, I'm always like a, a caricature, if you like, of myself on the three days, because sure. that's the way that I know that I can, that's my duty I've got to those people in the room. If I sit there miserable, worrying about the site, I've got what's overrun or I've got to find some money there and don't deliver it to my best, they won't. Yeah take you take it on board it won't sink in and they won't go and do it and and then in essence the money they've paid to sit in that seat's been a waste of money for them so sure. i'll leave everything at the door i'll come in and you know i'll i'll deliver that the, the best you know i'll give them the best mindset i can give i'll give them the best experience i can give and i'll give them the best entertainment that i can give in some ways to give them the confidence to go and take on some of those um and, and do the transactions you talked about because that is what will change their lives no, 100%. I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that is, 
effectively what you are doing is you're you're basically you're identifying something that's a potential fear you know public speaking lots mm. of people are, are nervous about including me right we've we've all had you know those moments where you get on stage and you think oh shit what am i going to say you know your mouth, mind goes blank and your mouth goes dry and you need to start shaking but actually it's one of those things that when you learn to uh, embrace it and do it more and more it becomes something that you actually quite enjoy doing and you still get a bit of apprehension mm. sometimes but yeah that that is one of those key skills that i think loads of people have got a fear of it myself included you probably did have at the beginning but yeah absolutely mm -hmm. D doing that is is, is is a key skill and particularly if you want to be pitching investors and doing all these kind of things like creating that kind of structure but learning to present well is 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 is, is, a, is a is a good skill set to have for everybody it's massive and one story on that actually is that you know i've, I've got three boys i've got three kids One's um, 10, one's 15, and one's 17 as we record this. And, um, you know, I get them all to come through the courses we do. You know, not every one, but, you know, my, well, my 17-year-old's done it twice. Once when he was 13, once when he was 16. My 15-year-old did it when he was 11. And uh, even my 10-year-old sat on our, our one day the other day at the back of the room because he's on wow. school holidays at the moment. And um, the reason I do that is because I want to show them things, you know, I want to demystify some of these things that I've learned at a very young age that it took me till, you know, 30 to 40 to learn a lot of this stuff. And, um, and you know, my, my middle one, he was, um, you know, he grew up with a, a, quite a stutter and all that kind of thing. He wasn't confident at talking in a family environment, let alone... Um, you know, in a, in a group environment when he was younger and we had a lot of speech therapy, all those kind of things and whatever, they, you know, they're fortunate enough to go to an independent school because of property development. And, um, you know, not sure. that's something they couldn't go do before, but because of the results of property development, they've got good education now. And um, he, it was a difficult transition for him to move across to that school um, when he first did, because he was halfway through a, a state junior school. And, um, and only two years later, He'd done our course, he'd seen his, you know, simple things like he'd seen his dad in front of 50 people, you know, talking confidently and all the things you've just been talking about with public speaking there. And two years later, he was head boy of, um, of the independent school talking to 350 prospective parents, telling them about his experience wow. in his school and writing speeches for them, you know, a kid who had a stutter and all that kind of thing. And, and I firmly believe some of that is because, you know, seeing those environments that he saw me speaking in, you know, gave him the vision that he could do it himself, you know, some, I'm sure it was sub subconscious or subliminal. He didn't sit there, you know, dreaming of that, but like I say, it demystified it for him. And, um, you know, it was kind of more normal than it was for me growing up, you know, with the experiences I had. Yeah. And it is, it, it, I think there's, I, I don't know, there's a saying around, you've got to make yourself uncomfortable to ex achieve extraordinary things. Uh, mm. And yeah, look, you know, we, we don't like it, do we? You know, naturally, we all no. shy into our kind of comfort zone and stay in that little bubble. But it's good to good to push through. And, you know, clearly, clearly, you've, you've done that, done that to, to a large extent. Um, OK, so in, in terms of in, in terms of your kind of vision and your focus moving forwards, is it more of the same? Um, you know, are you, are you sitting there stroking your white cat at night, you know, plotting world domination? Mm. What, what's the game plan going forwards? Well, for a start, I don't like cats. Oh, I'm, right, a, I'm a dog man. I'm a dog man, but I've got a, I've got a very manly dog. I've got um, a white labradoodle, so yes, yeah, so, so the principle still sticks. Yes, but, um, but yeah, no, I think that um, I think that naturally to take on some of the challenges that I took on originally and then Lloyd took on. You know, we've got we've got um, 
a, a tenacious nature, but we've also got a, a vision and a goal to do things more and better. Because if we were quite happy with what we got, we probably wouldn't have done anything different and nothing would have changed. So I think that mm. comes probably intrinsically and through some of our earlier experiences. But I think, and, and we will always keep pushing on with that because, you know, I, I firmly believe if you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot. You know, you, you never get the finished article, even the most successful people that you see and you've had on this, um, the growth show, um, you know, they're, they're always still working on themselves and they're always still trying to do better and all those kind of things. And, you know, that's for a reason. And, you know, to keep that, you have to keep trying to improve. That said, though, um, I think that, you know, even for me personally, the, um, the, the whole, you know, 2020 lockdown experience and whatever, it was a bit of a reset for me. Um, and, you know, I probably have put a few things into perspective. And, you know, and some of the things that I thought really meant a lot to me, you know, material things and that beforehand don't mean as much to me. Um, you know, I, I, my kids are at an age now where, you know, I, I don't think I was probably, I've always, if I'm honest with myself, not always been the best dad. I've always been busy at some of the younger parts of their life. I know you've just had a daughter and, you know, it's exciting when you just have a, have a child. But, you know, I resonate with them much more when they're a bit older than when they were babies. Um, now they're teenagers and I can... I can, you know, at the right time and in the right way, show them some of the things which, you know, I've found are really important in life. And if they can sort of get some basic principles on that um, in their teenage years, then they're going to build way further than I am. And that's the kind of thing that drives me now and seeing myself as a role model for them. So, you know, the fitness journey I went on, that was enlightening for me. But my, it, one of the reasons why it probably hit me at 42 and I made a difference, you know, three years ago when I was 42 was because my kids were getting to that age where what I did was they were going to start noticing and they were going to replicate in essence. And, um, you right, know, okay. I, I, I had a bit of a word with myself and, you know, took the hard road to sort myself out. And, um, you know, now my 17 year old is in the gym every day and he, he, he sees life like that, like I do now not like I did then. So, you know, again, that's, that's where I get a lot of my um, pleasure now. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I had a sim similar kind of experience just in the, um, during lockdown actually. So uh, yeah, as you know, I used to, you know, go out and enjoy a few beers and I still do sometimes now, but I, I kind of, I, I, I stopped drinking for about 18 months and it completely changed my outlook and having a child as well, you know, th those kind of combinations. In fact, and maybe it's, you know, we're, we're middle-aged men, right? For all intents and purposes, yeah, yeah. maybe it is a bit of the midlife crisis and, you know, yeah, I know Lloyd's got his Ferrari with his roof down and all the rest of it. And mm -hmm. maybe that, that can manifest itself in different ways for different people. Right. So yeah, perhaps that is part of it. But I, I, I remember we, 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 you and I just met for a bit for a beer once and you had a, you had a Coke. And I, I was thinking at the time, like, I know that Andy loves drinking. He, he's, he, you know, you're a sociable guy. And I was like, he's not drinking. <laughs> and it's like kind of, it was a bit of an interesting kind of dichotomy for me to as, to as to why that was happening. But yeah, you put that into context here. So in terms of that kind of fitness journey, um, you, so you were probably, what, fe feeling a bit overweight, not feel, maybe feeling a bit sluggish, um so yeah what was the kind of motivations in terms of you know well, that transition? i think you know it's fair to say that i'd always felt like that you know i'd um really right. since being a you know a late teenager or early 20s you know I, it wasn't like i was ever particularly overweight but i was never you know i didn't really ever consistently go to a gym or anything like that but i was a, i felt like i was a tradesman so i was a you know, practical kind of guy and that was enough um and i was in essence just out of shape and I didn't understand diet in any way if I look back at it you know I didn't know how to and I, I went through 
you know, yo-yoing like everyone else does. And I'd always have a limit. So I'd get to my upper limit. You know, I'm, a, I'm a tall guy. I'm a big guy. So six foot two. And um, I'd get to sort of the 17 and a half stone or whatever. And, you know, and, and it would, all my alarm bells would go off, you know, like I'd be like, oh my God, I'm feeling terrible. I'm, you know, sluggish, all the things you just said there. I, I hate the look where I'm looking in the mirror and, you know, clothes aren't fitting properly and all that. And I'd, I'd be motivated to do something about it. But then I'd also have a lower limit where I'd perhaps get down to 15 and a half stone, maybe even 16 stone. And then I'd start feeling like, oh, you know, I've achieved that now. I've done it. Now I'll tick that box and I feel better about myself now and all that kind of stuff. And I'd start creeping back up. And all that would happen over, you know, between three to six months each way, probably. But I'd, I'd basically get to the higher limit, get back down to the lower limit, then feel all right, go back to the top limit. And then, you know, I'd just go up and down, up and down. I didn't really understand why. I'd get frustrated with it, you know, and I... I even said to my wife at one point, probably in my early forties, that like, I need to get hypnotized. I can't stop eating shit. You know what I mean? I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know why. I just, I'd get to that point, and then I'd start tricking myself and eating more again and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't understand the psychology behind it all, but I kind of do now. And I didn't realize things like, um, like sugar. It's probably the most addictive thing we're, that we're challenged with in this world. You know, like, you know, like yeah. we talk about like cocaine and drugs and all that kind of stuff and heroin. And all those are massive, but sugar beats all them in my mind, mm. and um, and and alcohol as well to, to to a lot of people. So, you know, but I think that sugar tricks you. You know, when you start eating it, it like it tricks your mind to finding more of it, that, like any addiction mm. does. So, you know, but people don't give it credit that it's doing it. So, you know, they find themselves sneaking off and eating biscuits or having cake every day for people's birthdays at work and all that kind of stuff, and they just palm it off like it's nothing. But you know, it's it's a controlling addiction. And the first thing actually got me some momentum was I, did, I saw someone over Christmas did a three day fast and I couldn't get my head around it like you know just drinking water and coffee for three days and but I thought you know what I'm, I like challenging myself I need to get off this cycle and um, mm. I did that and, and and even in three days I started to break off that addiction to sugar and I started to I realized that like any challenge all the things we've been talking about actually I don't need to be at the end result I just need to take off like 10 days just be just be really good for 10 days and start to feel the positives and all those kind of things. Um, and I started to learn more about diet and, you know, fitness. So I started going to the gym and, you know, you said there about me not drinking there. One of the things that I, I, um, I went on holiday in, in, I don't know, 2016, 17, something like that summer holiday, all inclusive, you know, when you normally let go, um, and that time someone had inspired me before it, I think about going to the gym, I'd seen someone had gone been to the gym on holiday and, and it's a, a freaky concept to me, which is like you described. And I ended up, I was on a 10 day holiday. I went to the gym 18 times, you know, I'm an obsessive, wow. okay. obsessive kind of guy, you know, like, and, and I, I proved to myself that you don't have to do it the way you've always done it. You know, you can change the preconceived ideas of things like that and going out and drinking every night and all those kind of things. So it was a it was a mindset shift. You're never gonna in a ten day holiday change, you know, your physique and all those kind of things, but you can change the way you think and feel about it. And that put me on a positive spin. And I even did a video at one point in the early days of it, you know, three years ago, or whatever, where I um I trust myself, I trust my own opinion. So I, I literally did a video um, on my phone, on my iPhone, where I kind of had a word with myself. I said, look, if you ever watch this video, it's because you're slipping back. Watch it if you start slipping back. And um you know, when I started reinforcing all the feelings I had, when like when I was recording the video, I was feeling good. I was feeling like I was getting good results. I was feeling like my clothes fitted well. And I, I could see in my own eyes that I meant that. And, you know, if you want to feel as good as I am now, 
then stop eating fucking biscuits. <laughs> I'm going to get you there, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, just go to the gym, take off, you know, do three or four days on the trot and you'll start to get that positive spin back. Cause you know, we all, no one can be perfect every day, but one day is not going to fail for you. You know, like just go back to basics and do it for a week and you'll feel back to where you did, you know, before you had a couple of days of a weekend off or something, you know, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Well, and it's that it, it is that, you know, ultimately we all are the you know, where you are today is the, the results of what you've done. Right. And whether mm. that's in a business perspective or a personal perspective, if you're going out on the bears every night, you're going to feel sloppy. You're going to probably be overweight because you're eating backy D's on the way home or whatever. Right. Whereas if your life is based around, you know, fitness, working out in the morning and, you know, considering your diet, trying to reduce your sugar, all of, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. You, you, you feel completely different. You get a kind of, you know, you get a glow in your eyes and you get an energy that isn't isn't there otherwise. And it's it's the same as business, right? If you're, you know, business development, like Lloyd's used to do, selling, selling you know, selling uh, lights, for example, if, if you're not in front of decision makers, you're not going to have any success. And it's the same as finding sites. You know, how many letters are you sending out, right? You say you want a development site. How many state agents have you seen today? How many letters have you sent out today? And if the answer to those is, oh, zero because of, right, which is, you know, we all make excuses for things. And it, it all comes back to, you know, Lloyd said it on that first podcast that I did with him is activity equals opportunity, you know, and it's, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? But over a period of time, if you consistently do, you know, the, the fitness or you consistently learn about a business or an idea or whatever, then then as you begin to implement that, that's the things that can, you know, over, over a period of time can make significant changes to you as a person and, you know, the results that you achieve. I think that's 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 what I've learned over the last couple of years. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, you are a result of everything you do. So, and, and like I say, a big driver for me for that is my kids are probably a result of what I do in 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 their informative years as well. So, you know, like yeah, I can see the results of that. My even my middle son, who's not been um, into the gym particularly, he's only fifteen, and there's no need for him to be at that point. And um, when we went on holiday this time, we just come back from Dominican Republic um, a few weeks ago, and the three of us were going to the gym. So my 17 year old, my 15 year old and me, you know, and honestly, there's no, I couldn't be prouder, you know, and yeah. to, to go and do those sessions as, as, as three and, you know, and, and them knowing what they know and being inspired by the change I made, you know, that's, that's absolutely brilliant for me. But if I hadn't have made those changes, would have probably been in the all inclusive um, bar, you know, eating the, eating all the food and all that kind of stuff. Cause that would have been what I've been showing them as well, wouldn't it? You know? Yeah, and exactly. And you're right. If you're if that is the example of, you know, pile up your plate as much as you can and get as much cake as you can, then ultimately that has an influence on the moment. As, as, as we've talked about, my daughter's not old enough yet to be to be influenced by that. But absolutely, you want to set the right examples for your kids and, mm. you know, so they behave behave in the right way you know and lead by example it's uh, it's interesting stuff so so in terms of um you know, i know you've done you know lots of work on yourself in terms of personal development is there is there one particular quote or one particular book that you would recommend to listeners and viewers of of this is there yeah on, on that front have you got anything that you recommend um for inspiration on that kind of thing i don't think you can beat um can't hurt me by david goggins yeah. Um, it's just uh, that you know that you can't listen. Oh, I listen to it on audio, so you actually the benefit is you've got him talking it then, and it's a kind of an interview if you listen to it on audio. Um, and yeah, I think that um, 
you can't listen to that and understand his story, where he came from and the mindset that he forged from it and not be inspired. You know, when I listened to that, I used to, I used to think and try and put myself in his shoes when I was at the gym at CrossFit, you know, when you're in that, the pain cave and all that kind of stuff, you know, I'd be thinking, you know, Goggins is telling me I'm only using like bloody 40% of what I've got in me here. You know, I've got 60% that my mind never lets me get to, you know, that you, you never get past that really. And, and that, in itself, it just unleashes the, the shackles a little bit, doesn't it, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. So have, have you ever been tempted to go for a long distance run? Are you, is that something that you're going to challenge yourself with? Or um, I do challenge myself on fitness challenges. Running is not really my thing. I don't really like running. I don't really enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. So, so it's not something that's really come up. But, you know, you probably remember a few years ago I did the boxing um, I did the white collar. Yeah, boxing. I was. I was. I was going to mention this. So yeah. you called out Matt Sidel recently. He, he didn't take you up on that offer. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did initially, but behind the scenes, he was a bit worried. Yeah, he, he, was, um, <laughs> he was messaging, sort of saying, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know, whatever." So yeah, we, he, he was quite up for it, and um, I, he's he's got a few changes at the moment, I think, and all that. And to do something like that, it, you know, whether it's a run or whatever, you've got to train, haven't you? Know, so we go. We were setting up a twelve-week um, training camp, and you know, you, you're putting yourself through the ringers and yeah, I enjoy that kind of challenge and I'd never done any boxing before that. And, um, and yeah, that was quite a big event in London that, that I did in, I think it was 2019. And, um, mm. yeah, that you learn a lot from going through those kind of things. So yeah, I think it's really important to challenge yourself with all of those kind of things. I did a, a CrossFit competition last, last year. So I, CrossFit's my thing that, um, I found if you like in 2018, um, I sure. did a, a, a team competition in Manchester. Um, there was there's four of us in the team, but I kind of put the team together and you know, worked hard on getting the sponsorships and things like that. And we um, it was Battle Cancer in in Manchester, um, and we um, I, there was a, there was quite a lot of teams in our category. There was about forty teams all nationally, and um, right. a lot of gym owners and all that kind of thing. We came second, so oh, yeah, wow. I was really pleased oh, that's with that. Good, yeah. good achievement. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So I think that you you just need to whether it be marathons, whether it be, to be you know, triathlons or whatever, you need to be working towards something, you know, like, like we said earlier in business. So, you know, if you, if you take your eyes off the prize, you'll end up fading, won't you? Well, exactly. That's, yeah, if you haven't got a kind of clearly defined agenda or goal, yeah, you're, you know, that's where, the, in, in my experience, inertia kicks in and then you just go sideways for a bit. And we, we all naturally do that from time to time, yeah. but it's just being able to introduce that consistency of this is what I'm trying to achieve and, you know, pushing pushing and striving striving for those things because it gives you gives you a sense of direction i think if you haven't got a kind of purpose and a goal then you know lots of people and I, we're all guilty of this you spend your life looking over your shoulder and thinking about what you have done whereas what you should be looking at is what i'm going to do right that that, yeah. that is a big psychological shift isn't it it's uh, yeah no definitely but i think as you just said there we all naturally go through those cycles you know nobody's on it and feeling the fittest I've ever been forever, you naturally have to go for an off cycle as well to get the benefits of going on an on cycle. Um, and, you know, I, I'm at the point of the minute where, you know, I, I've been on a few holidays this summer and all that kind of thing and not feeling like they're my best and all that. Uh, and I had a bit of a reset. We're going to, you, you'll know, we're going to Bali in, um, in the end of September for one of our retreats. So we, we take people on business retreats over to Croatia and Bali. We're going there. We'll be there for 18 days. I'll go to the CrossFit over there. You know, um, I want to feel good when I'm over there. So, had a bit of a reset this Monday, going back to some of the basics with the nutrition that I do. I've got a group of people, there's about 50 people in it that I, I kind of help on a WhatsApp group with their um, consistency and training and all those kind of things and their 
their attitude towards that kind of thing. And that had gone a bit quiet. So I sort of called them out a little bit on Monday and, you know, I'd do videos at sort of half five in the morning for them and, you know, G them in for the day and all that kind of thing. And I, you know, and, and that's good for me. And it's back to that training side, isn't it? By teaching other people and supporting other people through what their challenges are, you actually learn and it encourages you to be a good example to do things right yourself. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. When it, it makes you kind of answerable when you've yeah. got that responsibility, you create responsibility for yourself and you have to, yeah, you have to lead by example. That's a good, good exactly. analogy. Um, cool. Well, it, it, in terms of um, the, the kind of standard questions that I have on the podcast, so I tend to ask, the, the, there's a question that um, regarding the biggest mistake that you've ever made, is, is there anything that stands out for you that you wish, you know, wish you hadn't done or you'd handled differently? Um, look, I think that we make mistakes all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that in the early days, we made a lot of mistakes in the early days of builder, you know, we made a lot of mistakes and nothing's even jumping out of mind. You know, there's refinance mistakes. We should have done things quicker. We should have supported our teams better and all those kind of things, but they're just specifics. And I don't want to sound airy fairy, but they are what got us to where we are, you know, when, you know, that those mistakes have formulated our journey to get to, to where we are. Some people say, you know, do you wish you did it earlier? Well, I don't really, because I you know my mindset wouldn't. It would have been too big a jump in some way. My my journey had to be what my journey had to be to get me to where I am now and to have the foundation of what I'm going to do in the future. Um, and mm. that includes all the mistakes that I went through to get to that. Um, I don't necessarily want my kids to start at the same point. I want them to start earlier so their journey gets traction earlier. But they're going to make their own mistakes going forward as well. So um, I think that. Things to, to highlight along the way, though, is that, you know, you, if you're going to be successful, you kind of need to work with people. You need a team around you. You know, you, you, you'll have heard, just like I've heard with other people, that, oh, I don't like to have people working for me because, um, you know, like I, it, they just bring problems and, you know, can't control it or whatever. But that's fine. But you'll only ever be a one-man band, won't you? It doesn't matter what you do, whether you're, you know, selling stuff on, uh, on the internet or whatever else. If you haven't got a team, you can only ever be so big at anything you do. So... You know, no really successful person out there at all has ever done it on their own, really. If you if you analyse, and I'm sure you've done a lot of it on the on the podcast. Um, so it's embracing that and understanding that yeah, teams come with issues, but they also come with opportunity. So um, and they bring their own challenges, which will help you grow in other ways. You know, so the challenges we have at work sometimes, the empathy I have to have with the teams here make me a better husband and father at home as well. You know, so you know it's all it's all cross translated, isn't it? So. I'm not, I don't, I don't think I, I try and, I, I wouldn't change anything that we've had because that got us to here. And, I, and, you know, I think you embrace going forward that I think a, a key phrase with that though, is that when, when things are really shit, because they're shit for everybody, everyone goes through bad times, you know, whether it's personally or business, or whatever, when things feel like they're absolutely the worst they can be and that they're really challenging and that they're really stressful and whatever, the one thing you can rely on is that that's not going to last forever. You know, it will pull out of that and it will be better. But also the opposite is true. When things are, you know, in a purple patch, everything you touch turns to gold, you know, nothing can go wrong. Also, that won't last forever. So, you know, ride it while you can, learn from it, but also accept the fact that, you know, things will also correct the other way. So like I said earlier, try and get a nice mean line in the middle where, um, you know, you, you contain both of those things. Um, when it's on a down patch, try and see it and and and, and re, um, 
repurpose that if you like so that it's a learning experience you know like like i said we try not to make the same mistakes twice we're going to make mistakes every now and again but let's try and learn from not making the same mistake twice yeah okay so taking out the peaks and the trough effectively and trying yeah. to be more yeah yeah no exactly yeah. Um, okay and then, and then in terms of your biggest you know your your personal either either as a business or um uh, on a personal basis what what do you consider to be your biggest success um i think yeah, instantly what comes to mind there is more personal stuff you know we've had business wins and whatever but the business is a facility to have a, a good personal life isn't it at the end of the day mm-hmm. um you know with the people we bring us around are, are are in our team if you like to but we all want to live a happy and fulfilling life at the end of the day there's no point in being really successful in business and being really miserable and you know your family being all stressed out and things like that and there's some of the realizations i've had more in the latter years than the earlier years because I was more focused on business and I probably put too much stress and pressure on it from that. Um, so I think, you know, my biggest achievement so far has got to be really, um, you know, and I'm understanding it more and more as the kids get older, really, that that being able to show them the, the lessons I've had to give them a better start, really. And, you know, that's what we're all here for, I think, isn't it? And, mm. and as I say, I, I probably didn't realise that when they were young kids. I probably... You know, didn't even interact and, and have that kind of link with them when they were really young. Um, but as they've grown, hopefully that's come into its own. And, you know, like my, my 17 year old, when he, w- he went through his early teenage years and, you know, you think they're never going to come back from it. He was bloody proper Kevin and Perry. You know, he literally went through that phase. We used to show videos of it. You know, this is you. Can you see that? You know, and then literally a, a year or so ago, you know, that flick for him. And, um, and he really started to understand. He was really quite receptive of some of those lessons you know, like we're just buying his first car at the minute. He's, um, you know, we bought his first car. He's, he's doing his driving test in a week or so. You know, I've been, you know, they always say that you can't teach your kids to drive. Like that, you know, I'm, I'm literally, you know, he's not, he can't get a driving lesson because of the state of the place at the minute. So every night, you know, we'll go out and, you know, like, um, and I'm able to show them and it don't get stressed out in any way. I'm able to sort of guide him through that and get him, you know, to part of it. And I'm, I, I swear he'll pass first time. He's bloody brilliant at it. Um, and he's coming, I just mentioned Bali there. He's coming to Bali um, to oh, sit wow. through and live that experience at 17 years old, you know, like and be with those people and have the not that he'll have a session, but he'll he'll see other people's sessions. He'll get that um, that learning from them, and that came about because I came back from Croatia and I thought, how can I be in these powerful environments and not introduce my kids to it? But obviously, it has to be at a time when they're really receptive to it. So I, I remember a few days later, I was in the kitchen. And I was thinking, right, I've got to find the right time to ask him because if I ask him at the wrong time, he'd say, "Oh, I'm not doing that," you know. And I said to him, like, you know. I think, you know, maybe you should come out to one of these retreats. You know, it'll be stressful. It'll be, um, you know, stressful, but it'll be challenging, if you like. Um, it's not an easy environment to be in, um, but you'll learn a lot from it. And he said straight away, he said, oh, I was going to ask you if I could come. You know, I was going to ask you if I could be part oh, of wow. it. And, okay. You know, if I could, you know, he said, I was even going to see if I could pay a bit to come along because I didn't think you'd let me go because of the expense and all that kind of thing. And, and I thought, right. wow, that is... You know, if he wants to do it, that's exactly the time. And, you know, to be able to introduce them to things like that, that's, you know, hopefully that's the best thing that will ever happen for me. Yeah, no, amazing, amazing. And, and, and just just another question on the um, kind of advice side of things. So if somebody's kind of sitting there thinking, God, I want to, you know, I want to do something, whether that's be a property developer or start a business or anything like that, what would be the one bit of advice that you give somebody who's just, just getting started? Um, I think that, you know, obviously you need the activity and activity creates opportunity. You know, that's one of our favorite sayings. Um, 
you need to have that to create the, the opportunity that's going to come with you. So you need to get out there and, and go speak to people. But also, you know, don't be, um, don't be sort of stubborn, if you like, and, and think that you can't learn from other people, you know, like, so everything we try and do new with a fitness journey, you try and you get a personal trainer who knows all the pitfalls and can steer you away from them. So when we became service accommodation operators, we didn't know how to do it. So we went and got training for it. The thing that sparked our, um, our development journey was by going and doing even that free course that we did. You know, so, so I'm not always talking about it has to be something expensive. You know, go and learn it. Go and, you, know, you can save yourself so much time and you can save yourself so many um, heartaches and hassles and money losses and all those kind of things just by learning it from people who have just done it. And sometimes that's people who have just done it in front of you. They don't even have to be the most experienced but just get someone who's been through some of those challenges and they'll just be able to be able to help you with it. And I think, you know, that that's invaluable, really. At, at the end of the day, you're going to doing something new as a, a cost to entry, doesn't it? It's going to cost you one way or another. It's going to cost you in time. It's going to cost you in, um, in, in monetary values. You either pay for it by learning it first or you pay for it by making the mistakes, which you know cost you in events anyway. And, and usually the, the second way costs you 10 times more, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, good advice there. Definitely. I completely agree with that. Cool. Well, um, from my perspective, that's everything that I wanted to talk to you about. So I welcome any kind of closing remarks that you might have. And also, if you could let us know where we can find you on socials and also obviously yeah, drop in your you know website, etc. That would be great. But yeah, just wanted to say I've really enjoyed this chat. I found it inspiring and yeah, hopefully help me to go and push on on some of my goals as well. So but yeah, over to you, Andy, to, to close it out. Okay, well, I'm sure you said that to all the people you interview, but, uh, but no, <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I think that, you know, to have a, an organic chat like that, you know, a lot of things come out of it. We've all had a lot of experiences, um, you know, like, but as I said, we are completely different people to what we were in 2014. And that's been by challenging ourselves and doing something different. Now, if you look at, if you look at the top of the mountain, sometimes that seems very hard to climb, but you just got to keep it. The reality is you just chunk it down and you keep putting one foot in front of the other, take it off as small challenges. Uh, the first one leads to the second one, the second one leads to the, you know, you, before you know it, you're at five, 10, you know, you, you get in there and, and, and you don't need to know the end result. Sometimes you just need to know that what you're doing is a positive thing that you're doing for yourself and your family and the people around you. And before you know it, you look back and you're, you know, eight years into a journey with a portfolio and all those kind of things. So just keep challenging yourself, keep going forward. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch or anything like that, um, Instagram's a good one. So Andy Whitebox, so it's A-N-D-I, I spell my name like a girl, um, A-N-D-I, um, Whitebox. Um, and yeah, you'll find me on Instagram. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find us, uh, we've got a White, uh, Whitebox website, Whitebox Property Solutions Limited. Um, look at us on there. You can find us on there. You can get in touch and, you know, we can we can help you along with your property or personal development journey. Awesome. Well, many thanks, Andy. It's been a great chat. I've enjoyed catching up and look forward to seeing you soon. All the best. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Growth Show with Matt Lindsay. Please like our podcast and subscribe today.